Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua, and I am your host. Today's episode, we'll be talking about some of the differences between the kingdom of God and between secular agorism, because these are the two things that I am making comparisons for in season three. And I believe that there are a lot of things to compare and a lot of things that are very similar but there are some key differences that are worthy of explaining and pointing out. And then I also want to get into some of the more practical aspects. I guess I've been trying to get more and more practical, and I have a hard time doing that sometimes. But I do want to talk about things that are actually happening, things that I am doing personally and that groups I know of are doing in both fields, both in the secular agorism realm, as well as the realm of Christianity and the church, as well as potential crossover between the two. I should also say, as a bit of a side note, I am recording on a different setup than usual, so this, I think, sounds different and strange in some way, but I hope it still sounds good, just different. I am not at home right now. I am out and about in California, and with that, I do not have my setup, obviously. And so I went out and I purchased a remote setup and a new mic, which are things that I have thought about doing for quite a while and finally decided to go ahead and do so. That way you could get this episode. Otherwise, I would not have done an episode for this week. I would have had to have missed one, and I have not done that yet since I started, maybe three years ago or so, and I would not like to start now, personally. With that, I definitely would like to say thank you to all of the financial supporters of the podcast because I am able to use funds that you have donated to the show in order to be able to do this and record this episode and put this out here without missing a week. So thank you very much. I only pitched in a small amount of my own money and was able to get a lot of new equipment, which is really nice, and it will give me a backup as well as give me the ability to do more things. So hopefully that'll work out well. Hopefully I can make sure that the sound quality is good and all that kind of stuff. It should give me more options, but this is the first time I've ever tried it. So if anything is a little off, I do apologize and I will be working on that. So to start off, I want to highlight this aspect of what season three is doing for this show, what the past few episodes have been all about. Basically, I am drawing from Christianity but what we're talking about and what this application is for is not Christian. So I'm using a Christian example, the early church, to talk about something that is different, to talk about modern alternative movements that would be against the state and against a lot of the culture of the modern day. And this would probably be most exemplified in secular agorism, and you should notice by that word secular that this is not religious, it's not Christian. And so there are these definite differences, but there is something about this that is pretty important when I go back to some of these themes that I've talked about in the past few episodes. So I have talked about the light, talked about that symbolism of being the light. I've talked about the light side of the natural order but what I have to clarify here is that from the perspective of the early church, from a Christian perspective, the light is referring to God. The light is referring often to Yeshua. It is referring to the morality that was laid forth by God. And so when we look at that example and look at those parallels, there obviously is a bit of a disconnect from that perspective. So if you look at the light side principles of the natural order, for example, those could be implemented universally and agreed upon universally, whether from a religious standpoint or not. However, when you look at where those principles must have come from, it would be extremely difficult to argue an evolutionary track for that. It does appear that the only solid way of explaining that that holds up to scrutiny would say that there was a creator. There was a source for this morality, for these principles, for this dynamic in this system. That is something that is 
nearly impossible to come from anything but a source. You can go to the first mover argument that no matter how far back you go, there had to be a source for something to be. You can't have something that comes from nothing. That's just not physically possible in our reality. So at some point, there had to be a something before everything we know. And that something from the Christian perspective would be God. So when I make this argument that there are these principles that all of the natural order is bound by, and there are light side principles and dark side principles, I am saying that there is actual morality that is not relative. And this would be a claim that I can only back up by saying that there is a God, there is a source for this morality. There was a creator that set things up in a particular way, and that is why that particular way is worthy of being followed. If there was not a creator, if there was not a particular way that things were set up, that things should be, you go to the principle of meaning within the natural order, if there is no meaning, meaning is not derived from some thing, from some creator, from some god, then it would just be a matter of practical issues. It's a matter of practicality. And you can make some practical arguments for the natural order and living according to the light side principles. That is true, but that is not always true. There are plenty of times when the ideal and when the moral perspective is different than the practical perspective. When it is more practical to be Machiavellian, but it is more in line with the natural order, the light side principles, to be loving and to sacrifice. Those are two, two totally different things. But the only way to verify that one is the way to go and the other is not, and I would say the light side is the way to go and the dark side is not, the only way to say that is to say that there was meaning in how the universe was structured, how our reality is designed, and that it is designed. So there has to be a designer. And so that's kind of the deal here. So because of all of these different aspects, and basically just because of the God aspect, there are certain limitations with talking about these things, with talking about the natural order, with talking about examples with the original church and with scripture, that kind of stuff. It is very limited in how you can apply that strictly from a secular perspective which is, in general, how I have always uh, approached this podcast is from a secular point of view. Now, I personally am Christian, and I do follow the Bible, and that is my personal stance, but that is not the approach that I have typically taken for this podcast, because this is not a religious podcast. In general, it's for everyone, and I think it can be useful for everyone. But although it can be useful for everyone, there are limitations to how useful it can be and how you can apply these things. And we're starting to run into some of those issues, and so it is definitely worth talking about. When you talk about whether or not there is a God that set all of this up and that is the source of all morality, you can say the same thing about wisdom, about love, about this aspect of revelation, that there is a God who has revealed things to his creation, and that is how we can recognize them and identify them. Now, if you do not have that perspective of there being a God and there being any such thing as revelation, then you would just say that the only thing that you can really count on is things that can be attested to and studied and verified, which is very different than saying that revelation is something that does exist and is possible. Same when you get into something like love and wisdom and morality. These are concepts that are different. When you really dig down into it, they are different if you have a completely secular perspective than if you have a perspective that there is a God, some sort of deist perspective. The same is true when we talk about this concept of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man and how these are two different kingdoms. These are two different approaches to reality, to government, organization, society, all of these things. Well, when you separate it in that way from a Christian perspective, let's say the perspective of the original church, 
then secular agorism would be part of the kingdom of man, not part of the kingdom of God. Whereas in my parallels that I'm drawing out, I am using the kingdom of God as an example, as a parallel for something like secular agorism. And so although there is a contradiction there to a degree, there is also a lot of compatibility there. And it is important to draw that distinction because from a religious perspective, those are two opposite camps. A secular agorism, regardless of how moral it may or may not be, is still something that is a part of the kingdom of man. It is still something man-made that is seeking the goals of man that does not have a perspective of trying to be in line with God, even if it is built on the principles of God. And we would say that all morality and all principles of the natural order all derive from God at the source. But the secular world, even if it tries to live roughly according to these things, they are not living to the glory of God, so to say. And so they are seeking different goals. They have a different perspective, and that is a totally different movement. So from one perspective, these are two totally different things. These are two different kingdoms, and the kingdom of man would include both status aspects and non-statist aspects. However, for the parallel that I am making here, we are going to look at this example of secular agorism versus statism as a similar thing to the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man, because, you know, there are a lot of obvious examples here. But there are these limitations that are very important. So to draw this out a little more, I want to talk about what it means to pursue the kingdom of God, and then I'll talk about what it means to pursue secular agorism and we can kind of compare and contrast these two different things. So when you are pursuing the kingdom of God, then what you're essentially doing is sacrificing yourself. You're sacrificing your time for the principles of God that he has laid down, and you're doing this for the sake of God because he is worthy of your sacrifice. And so that is the overall goal. Part of that includes being in community with the church, and the church would be, let's say, the universal church. That's not necessarily the universal Catholic church. That would just be all people that are a part of the kingdom of God, which would be all Christians, and that is generally considered the church writ large. Now, there are obvious differences in different denominations and in how different churches and denominations treat biblical principles and their actions and all of these kinds of things. But in general, the church is all Christians, all believers throughout the world that are part of humankind. And so this is the community that you are a part of if you are someone who is a part of the kingdom of God, if you are a Christian. And one of the goals is to encourage and participate in organized aid and organized evangelism. So the idea is that you as an individual are sacrificing your own time, you're sacrificing some of your own desires and goals for the sake of others because Others are valuable in God's sight. We are all created in the image of God. And because God had told us to give to people, to help others, to love others, to treat others the way that we would want ourselves to be treated and the way that we do treat ourselves. So that is the goal, but that can, that can have limitations on an individual basis that may not exist for a group as a whole. So the church as an organized body of individuals can do things that those individuals themselves cannot. And so the idea is that you join in community with the church and as the church and in community, you are also participating in organized aid and loving others and these types of things. So it's this idea of fractals in a sense where you have a thing that is smaller, that is basically the exact same pattern of something at a bigger scale, which is the exact same pattern of something at an even bigger scale, and it scales up or down as you please. And so that's kind of the idea here with 
this idea of as an individual, you are doing these things, but then as a community, you are doing the same things, reaching out to others as a community. So going down to the individual level, something that is very important is to study the scripture, is to seek that revelation that comes from the divine. We want to understand God better. We want to understand his ways better. We want to have things revealed to us. We want to be a part of this thing that God has going. This is reality. We want to be a part of that on the light side. And so in order to do so, a big part of that would be reading the scriptures and not only reading them, but really studying them and digging into them and looking at the people who wrote them and the cultures that surround those authors and the people that they were writing to and different interpretations that have existed throughout the ages, all of these different things. We want to be able to understand better, and the scriptures are one of the main ways in how we do that. Another aspect would be prayer, would be that you spend time in prayer, you spend time talking to God, and spend time listening to what God has to say. Another aspect of this is looking around and being observant uh, in his creation. So observing things like nature, observing things like human nature, observing the creation around us and what we can draw from that to understand God better. And this is the idea of the natural order, that we are looking at our reality and the reality around us, the reality that we live in, and we are drawing out these certain principles that we can see in the reality around us. So that is this aspect of seeking out that revelation or that rhetoric that comes from the divine, from God. As a member of the kingdom of God, though, it's not just about understanding God's ways and his principles and knowing more about the kingdom of God. It's about actually acting that out, about actually living that out. It's about putting those things into action. So we are to live morally. We are to live according to these principles. These are the principles that we use as a filter for everything that we do, everything that we think. And so this is something that does have to be applied. And in doing so, like I spoke about maybe two episodes ago about being the light, that you are the light in the darkness. So in doing so, in living out these things and putting these things into practice and into action, you are evangelizing to other people through your actions and ideally through your words as well. But it's not just words and it's not just actions. It's both. And that is the goal here in being a member of the kingdom of God. Because a member of the kingdom of God is a representative. They are ambassadors to the darkness, to the kingdom of man. And so that is this picture of being a light. You are a light that is shining the light of God. It is shining to you and through you into the darkness. And so the source of that light is not you. It is God. And so we are trying to channel that light, channel those principles, channel this ideal into this world that is far from these principles and far from the ideal and far from the light. And so that is this idea of being a representative of the kingdom of God, of being a member, a citizen of the kingdom of God, basically of being a Christian. Now I would like to compare that to secular agorism, because there are a lot of similarities here, but it is a different focus. There is a different source, or not really a source at all from a certain perspective. So with agorism, the idea is that you are trying to live in a moral fashion. You don't want to take part in this immoral system, the state. You also don't want to take part in the immoral corporate system. You also don't want to be reliant on other people that are in the red market, in this market of violence and theft and coercion and force. And so you are trying to go outside of those systems and operate on a voluntary basis with voluntary transactions because that is the moral thing to do. That would, at least in my personal opinion, in reading Konkin, that is what I get out of it, that that is the more important aspect rather than strictly the practical aspect. Now, especially when you get into 
the different writings from an anarcho-capitalist perspective, they do focus mostly on the practical perspective. So if you read something like, I believe it's Chaos Theory or just Chaos by Bob Murphy, he lays out what an anarcho-capitalist society could and likely would look like. And he goes over a lot of different arguments. I did it two episodes, I guess, or more early on in season one, probably, I guess, actually midway through season one, and it was about anarcho-capitalism, and I also addressed the objections to anarcho-capitalism and defended those, but all of that is from a practical perspective, whereas reading Konkin, he very much goes back to the moral aspect of voluntary interaction and of avoiding force and coercion because they are morally wrong. So there is this aspect of an ideological motivation to why you are doing what you are doing, similar, but again, in a much more limited view, to how a Christian might approach their lives in living as a member of the kingdom of God. Now, with agorism, part of what you must do in order to have voluntary interaction is to have two parties that are interacting. So you do need to have some sort of community. And you want to be in community with fellow agorists. Now, it is okay to operate with other non-agorists or people that are in that mixed state in between agorism and the world, so to say, the system or the state. But ideally, you are building a community of agorists. You are building out the agora that does operate on a voluntary basis. So there is this aspect of community that you're trying to join, you're trying to be a part of, you're trying to grow and build. That is part of this whole idea of agorism. It's individual as well as communal. And with this, you are sharing goods, you're sharing resources, you're sharing information, you're helping one another through mutual aid or mutual assistance. And so all of these things do exist on many different levels. Similarly, to something like Christianity, where when you look within the church, people are discussing theology, they are discussing philosophy, they are also giving money to the poor, they're also helping the poor, they're also helping each other. If there's a member of the church that is in need, then the church as a corporate body will take care of that need, at least if they are operating the way they are supposed to. That is the same in the Agora. The Agora should be operating this way as well, and not because it is modeling after these Christian principles, but because the Agora is based on this ideology, based on this morality of voluntary interaction, everybody having the right to their own free will. And just like the church is evangelizing to the world writ large, and the individual Christian is evangelizing to other people in their lives, the Agorist is also evangelizing to the world writ large as a community, as the Agora, that should be drawing and attracting people and reaching out to others to participate in this voluntary marketplace. But also, as an individual Agorist, you should be reaching out to those around you, your family, your friends, people you come in contact with, and be talking about some of these different moral issues and contradictions in the current systems, as well as acting in those ways where you are buying things and selling things with people who are not part of the Agora. They are not Agorists themselves, but you are interacting with them on a voluntary basis. And in doing so, you are evangelizing to them about what Agorism is and what the benefits are, what the benefits are to them, usually from a more practical perspective when you get onto that level. And that is something you should be doing. So both as an individual and as a community, agorists are reaching out. They're trying to build. They're trying to expand. They're trying to draw in members. And again, this is obviously very similar to the pursuits of the kingdom of God. Now, with agorists, a lot of this does have to do with action. It's about putting this into action. It's about applying these principles and these this ideology in your everyday life and actually living it out. And in doing so, that itself is an example to those around you. It's an example to the community. It is a mode of evangelism. It's your words and it's your actions. And that is a very important component. So that is why 
I really highlight this aspect of being the light from a Christian perspective because it correlates so well with what you do as an agorist and how you spread agorism to other people. Basically, how you spread voluntary interaction, a society that's not based on force and coercion. How you spread this moral position to society around you. You are being the light in a similar way as the Christian is being a light, at least from a strategic perspective. And it is also based on an ideology. It's based on a morality in both cases. The difference is that with Christianity, there is a source for that morality. There is a source for that ideology. And there is a way to verify that. There is something that you can go to to see what this ideology is, what this morality is, and explain that out and study it further that doesn't necessarily exist with agorism. Again, agorism is a lot more limited. It only goes so deep. So as an agorist, living out these things and spreading these ideals and this morality, you are the light in a strategic sense in comparison to the Christian idea of being the light. But you are not a light in the Christian sense of what it truly means to be the light and who is the light, who is the source of that light, and all of what that implies. And so, again, it is not as deep. It is very limited when you go to secular agorism compared to Christianity, compared to this parallel of the original church. And that is important for both sides. It's important for agorists not to take this too far and make this like a religion, just as much as it is important for Christians not to look at agorism as something that is equivalent to their pursuits, and that they then dedicate more of their time towards agorism than they do to Christianity. Well, that is not good either. These are two totally separate things, and from a Christian perspective, secular agorism is largely in the realm of the kingdom of man, not the kingdom of God. So this goes back to an idea that I talked about in one of the first episodes of this season about ideals versus reality and how we're seeking the ideal, and the ideal is the kingdom of God versus reality of being in the kingdom of man. And in part of that, I talked about the role of markets and this idea of anarcho-capitalism specifically and how markets are much closer to the ideal and they can technically work with the ideal but they themselves are not necessarily the ideal. Markets aren't good or bad. Markets are compatible with good, and they are compatible with bad. And so when you are comparing something like a statist system that is not compatible to the light side of the natural order, then compared to that, a system that can be compatible with the light side of the natural order is much better. And so I would say that agorism is a very similar thing, where agorism in and of itself is not necessarily a good or a bad thing. But agorism is much more compatible with the idea of the kingdom of God, whereas statism really isn't. Statism is not compatible with the light side of the natural order. It just isn't. It isn't moral. It's based on force and coercion and deceit and all of these dark side principles, whereas agorism is not. Agorism can be totally in line, and I would say agorism is more in line with the light side of the natural order than just markets in general, because markets don't have that aspect of ideology or morality. And this, in my opinion, is a major shortcoming for things like markets and libertarianism and these types of things, is that they are too practical. I mentioned this about anarcho-capitalism. That's definitely a branch that focuses on practicality. And there, there is a reason for that, and that's not necessarily bad. You do want things to be practical. You want them to work in the real world. You want them to be realistic. So that is important to assess things in that way. But when you do not have the component of morality and ideology, you don't have these light side principles that you are built on, then you are missing a lot. It goes back to what I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, where from a practical perspective, following the dark side of the natural order might be more in line with practicality, with realism. 
but it is obviously not in line with the light side of the natural order because they are opposites. But the only reason you would choose the light side over the dark side would not be because it's practical, because sometimes it is not. You would choose it because it is moral, and that is a very important position to be in. If you strictly went with practical, then you're getting into things like scientism and technocracy, which we are headed towards, yes. And that can take multiple perspectives. You could have a technocracy that is fairly libertarian, and that is much more based on totally free markets and an open system that would definitely be possible. Corporatism would be more focused on the corporate side of that than the statist side of that, and moving away from statism and into more of a technocratic organization does have its merits, and it is much more practical. But again, if all you're focusing on is practicality, is efficiency and effectiveness, then you are going to inevitably search for things and make decisions and do things that are immoral simply because they are efficient and effective. They're practical. And so you have to have that component to keep those other things in check. Because if you are not, then you are not going to be in line with the light side of the natural order, with good. You are not going to have something that is good. So that is why with agorism, having this component of ideology and morality that is built on, on voluntarism, that is extremely important because that can offer that check to a degree. Now, again, it's limited when you can't take it all the way back to a creator and to a foundational structure of order and morality, then you really do have some potential for things not to always go in a moral direction, but it is definitely much better. I would say that agorism and Christianity are even more compatible than markets and Christianity. And so we're getting a step closer. And again, that is why this parallel works so well between secular agorism and Christianity. It's because you do have this component of uh, ideology, of morality, this aspect of voluntarism that agorism is completely based on. That was something that was very important to Konkin and has been important to agorists ever since. So what I would like to do then is to try to combine the two. So if agorism can be compatible with Christianity, and Christianity can be compatible with agorism, then we should be able to have Christian agorism. That should be a thing. That should be very easy to do. And especially if there are no contradictions, then there's no reason why we couldn't or shouldn't. Something that I have argued, though, is that Christianity, in a sense, is Christian agorism. If you actually go back to the original church and go to the different scriptures that talk about these things that are relevant in this field, then you end up with an answer of basically agorism, voluntarism, free will is a very important component. So Christianity, in its purest sense, is agorist in nature. It is not agorism, but it is agorist in nature. And so it, when you combine the two, when you have something like Christian agorism, it is getting much closer to the original church. It's getting much closer to a pure Christianity, something that operates according to the principles that Yeshua taught in the Sermon on the Mount. But in doing so, you are going to exclude many Christians. Many Christians are total statists. They're very patriotic. They believe that the state is the way to go, and they maybe just don't see the contradictions between that and biblical principles. I think that's probably largely the issue, but there are others. And if you look at the fact that the dark side of the natural order that the state operates in, one of its big components is deceit, then that makes perfect sense. And so you are going to exclude a lot of the church when you get into Christian agorism. But not only the church, you are also going to exclude many agorists. And this is also because agorists sometimes don't have any respect for religion, and they don't agree with religion. A lot of agorists believe that religion is made up 
and it was made up in order to control the masses. And this would be all religions, according to many people. There are plenty of atheists within agorism. And so when you talk about Christian agorism, obviously someone who is not a Christian is not going to be a part of Christian agorism, just like someone who is not an agorist is not going to be a part of Christian agorism because it's both components. So you have to have both things. You have to have both Christians, people that are a part of the kingdom of God, and you have to have agorists that are not interested in growing and supporting the state, but instead want to do alternative means of transactions based on voluntarism, based on free will, and they want to have these alternative systems that are agorist in nature. You have to have both of these things in order for it to be Christian agorism, because it's Christian and agorism. So when you do this, it is moral, and it is practical, and it is realistic. That is something that is very important. Just like anarcho-capitalists make some very good arguments for why that type of system would be a good system to organize society around and why it would work very well, we could argue the same thing with agorism. And not only could we argue that it's practical and realistic, it would also then have this moral component as well, which any good society has. Any good society and civilization throughout history has had some sort of ideology, some sort of morality. Typically, that took a form of a religion. And that was part of the glue that would hold a civilization or society together. That is needed. You can't have something that is completely atheistic because even when you have an atheist system of organization at a mass scale, you end up with that thing basically just filling the role of a religion. You look at something like statism or the church of woke or transhumanism. These types of things, they don't look to a god that is not their source. But in virtually every sense, they are filling the role of God and of religion and of a church and all these things. This is kind of a part of the is-ought problem that was discussed in the Venarmani, the first Venarmani interview of there are things that are, there are things that are possible, there are things you can do, but the question then is, should you do them? Ought you to do them? There's a difference between the is and the ought, and you need to have both of those components in just about everything in life, especially in organizing a society. You don't want to organize a society just in a way that you can, that is maximizing efficiency and effectiveness without any regard to the ought, without any regard to ideology, morality, these types of things, because that would not go very well at all. And we can look at plenty of historic examples where things trended towards focusing on efficiency and effectiveness and away from any sort of moral foundation, and that typically doesn't go very well. And I'm sure you can imagine how horribly that would go in modern times. So you do need the ought to balance the is, but you do need something that's compatible with both, with both the is and the ought. And my proposal is that Christian agorism is compatible with both. It is something that even the general public can easily ally with. They can easily ally with the church without being a member of the church. They can ally with other Christians. They can be friends. You know, they can interact with them. They can get help from the church if they need it. They can go to a church event. You know, that's all possible. You can be, let's say, an ally of the church without being a Christian. Well, you can also be an ally of agorist cadres without being an agorist. So you can easily participate in voluntary transactions with agorists. You can go to an agorist meetup. You can do things. You can be friends with other agorists. But you don't necessarily have to be an agorist yourself. So within these two camps and within the combined camp of Christian agorism, there is the ability to interoperate with people of the world, of the kingdom of man, of the state, of all of these different pieces of society. That is possible to do. So when you have a structure and ideology that is both moral and practical and realistic, and it can work within current systems, and it can work with people that are a part of current systems, 
that's a pretty good structure and ideology to go with because, you know, it is very practical and very idealistic. It's both. It's idealistic and realistic. And that is actually the goal. I have talked about how that's the goal of Christianity, that you always seek the ideal. Be holy for I am holy. You are to always try to seek to be perfect, even though you will never be perfect. It's this contradiction that is not necessarily a contradiction when you really dig into it. Well, that is what we want for society. We always want to have the best society possible. We want the best lives for our children, for other people's children, for grandchildren, for the next generation. We want humanity to survive and thrive. We want what's best for all humans. That is, well, at least generally what most of us want that aren't just completely self-centered and focused on the self and the dark side of the natural order. So the final thing that I did want to go over would be an example of agorism in real life. That is something that I think is important and that would be good to highlight because this is not just theory. We've talked about how this is the kind of thing that you need to enact in word and deed. And this is true of both Christianity and of agorism. So for a practical example of this, I'll talk about a group that I do know of, an agorist cadre that was started about a year ago and has grown to be maybe 40 people or more and continues to expand. Now, what this group does is it meets up once a month and they have a general monthly meetup where they get together, they do a potluck, and they eat together, they share a meal together, hang out, talk, discuss things. There is a topic that is presented on each month, and then a group discussion with everybody there talking about this topic, doing question and answer, that kind of thing. And there is also a bit of a marketplace where people bring things and they set them up on a table, and anybody that's interested in buying veggies, buying eggs, or someone has some free stuff to give out, or whatever the case may be, soaps, different things, they are available. And you have things like cryptocurrencies being passed around, as well as cash, and plenty of both this idea of discussing the ideology and talking about these types of subjects, as well as actually interacting with each other on a transactional basis in a voluntary manner. Now, that is just the overall framework for the cadre as a whole. When you actually think about what the ideal here is for agorism, just like it would be for the kingdom of God and Christianity, the ideal is to build a community. It's not just to have some folks that meet up once a month and that's about it. Even if there is some word and deed both being exchanged at that point in time, it's about building relationships. It's about building the counter economy and that marketplace. And so, in this fashion, the Agoras cadre that I am referring to also has split up into regional groups. So it's essentially groups of people within the cadre that live within, say, 15 minutes or so of each other, ideally much less, ideally five minutes to 10 minutes max. But these groups have broken up and formed subgroups on a very local level, and then those subgroups can interact with each other and get to know each other a lot more. They can have a barbecue, have people over to each other's houses. They can meet throughout the month in between the monthly meetups for the whole cadre and get to know each other even more, help each other on a more personal basis. And so you have that kind of small group community being built at the same time. There are also divisions that are not regional, but more topical. So there is a group that is really open to the public, but is largely made up of members of the Agorist Cadre that is focused on blockchain and cryptocurrency. And so that's a monthly group that meets up that has its own communication channels and its own group of people. Some of the people there are just from the general public and many are agorists and from the agorist cadre. And so the, they meet up once a month as well and discuss things related to blockchain and cryptocurrency and that kind of stuff. So you have a group of folks there. You have a group that has started up that's related to homesteading and gardening. And again, that's a public group that anybody is available for, but a lot of the people that are coming to that are from the agorist cadre. And this is a, another way to 
group together and form a community that is based on a specific niche, a specific thing that people are focused on, people are good at, people want to learn more about. And that is important too. There are multiple homeschooling families that are in the Agorist cadre, and there is an effort to get something more organized with them as well, so that there can be some sort of homeschooling community that exists as well. And so you have not just an Agorist cadre, but that Agorist cadre then has sub-cadres that are all regionally very close to each other. There are also subgroups that meet up focused around specific topics and concepts. There is some interaction between those topical groups and the public writ large. And then the other component here is that there is a push for doing some more public outreach and education. So this is kind of that idea of evangelism, where it's not just about creating this segmented group that has secluded itself away from everybody else and is just doing their own thing amongst each other. No, this is something that ideally spreads throughout the community. And even if agorism itself doesn't spread, well, even if just the participation in the blockchain and cryptocurrency world would spread. You know, that could be a good thing. Even if just more people are growing their own food and starting gardens, well, that could be a pretty good thing. And so even if just aspects of voluntary transactions and living according to voluntary relationships, if just aspects of that start to spread, that is a good thing. And so in order to do so, the idea that this cadre is pursuing is to have an educational website that basically has a page for all of these different things, all of these different components that are directly related to agorism, and having some references, having a brief description, and talking about what each one of these things are. So maybe there's a page for homesteading, and it then talks about what homesteading is from a pretty broad view. So someone that's not very familiar would be able to comfortably go in and learn about it. Then there'll be links for different podcasts or books or articles. There might also be links for connecting with someone locally that has a small homestead that you could even go visit and check out or a local homesteading and gardening group that exists locally. And so a lot of connections there where you can have a website that is a resource for the public to educate them and to help them. Anybody that's searching for these types of things can find those things and be directed to more learning and more education, but also some interaction there between just looking at these things and looking them up and getting involved with people locally that are actually doing these things. So hopefully it will connect the two. But then in addition to that, the goal would be to not only just have a website, but to actually hold some public classes on each one of these topics as well. So kind of like how there are monthly groups that meet up, let's say the blockchain group that meets up and talks about blockchain and cryptocurrency and does things related to that, there could be a single public class where the idea of blockchain is introduced and brought all the way to a fairly deep level all on one day in one class open to the public. So you could have a class that basically takes someone from just knowing what Bitcoin is or even that Bitcoin is, that it exists, and taking them from that to being able to have a digital wallet on their phone where they are sending and receiving cryptocurrency with other people next to them and understanding how that process works. And you could do that in a class. It would probably be a few hours long, but you could do some presentations, a slideshow, get people to download the wallet among themselves in the audience, have some interactive time where they are uh, trading crypto between each other, sending it to people, have uh, some printouts and some brochures that kind of go over some of the different aspects, maybe some notes, have some question and answer and some discussion. You know, all of these things where people could actually learn about what blockchain is and how to use it and both the pros and the cons of this. So it's not just that, oh, blockchain is great and wonderful and anything that says blockchain is definitely the way to go and you should support that fully. No, there are dangers to blockchain. If you have a public ledger that tracks and traces every single transaction on that ledger and that then gets tied to people's identities and the things they are buying and selling and trading and doing, 
No, that's not a good thing. I can tell you straight up, that is not going to go well, especially when that's run by a centralized entity like a state or like big tech. You know, there are dangers there. That is not a good thing. Think of Alison McDowell. And if you haven't heard the interview I did with her, then go back and listen to that. That's in the interim between season two and three. And highly, highly, highly recommend that because uh, she actually goes to the extent of basically saying that blockchain is bad and no one should participate in it because it is a technology that will be used to enslave mankind. And to an extent, that is true. So in order to educate the public on all of these things, you would hold a class. And this class would be sponsored by the Agoras Cadre as a whole. And it would just be part of that idea of education and outreach to the community as a whole to not only educate the community and spread some of these ideas, whether it be homeschooling, homesteading, cryptocurrency, 3D printing, on and on and on, but also to grow the Agora, to grow the agorist community and bring people into it so that that community is growing as well. So every single one of these things can be a feeder to the cadre itself. And as these things grow, as let's say the website gets more resources and more public classes are held and more groups are meeting up around town on more subjects and topics that are being covered and you have more sub-cadres that are meeting up on a more localized basis and the monthly meetings are getting bigger and more people involved and as all this stuff grows, the Agora is growing. And in doing so, agorism is spreading and voluntary transaction is becoming more and more common and more and more available. But not only that, you also have this aspect of the ideas being shared, resources being shared. If I have a question about any given thing that I don't really know a lot about, I can talk to my personal agorist cadre. I am part of an agorist cadre, and I have people that I can talk to, and we have resources. We have doctors. We have lawyers. We have people with 3D printers. We have people that are seeking to be 100% self-sustaining. We have people that are gardening. We have people raising animals. We have people homeschooling. We have all different kinds of people, and I can reach out to any one of them. I can reach out to them and ask for advice. I can ask for help. I can get resources. I can, let's say I want, you know, a dozen fresh farm fresh eggs. Well, I can find those from many different people. And all of them are part of the Agora. All of them are part of my Agorist community. And so this is something that is very doable for all of us in all locations. And I would say objectively is a good thing. So if you, the listener, is interested in something like agorism, if you believe that voluntary transaction is something that is important and is much better than force and coercion, and you want to be a part of that movement, you can do so. And please feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. But the local agorist group that I'm personally a part of started off by just having a freedom cell on freedomcells.org, I think, or .com, whatever it is, the one that John Bush and someone else started. And it basically just was this freedom cell meetup, and I'm the one that posted something about it and had seven or eight people show up the first time. And that's grown into a very large agorist cadre and group that is way beyond the Freedom Cells platform by far. And again, that just started with posting something on an online platform, getting a few like-minded people together, and that just naturally growing, something that is very organic. So if that's something that you want to be a part of, but it doesn't exist around you, number one, first look and make sure that it doesn't exist around you. But in addition to that, you should start it, you. You. So if you listen to someone like James Corbett, he has talked in the past about deputizing people. He says, I deputize you, the listener, to be the one responsible for XYZ, you know, spreading liberty, whatever the thing is. And so that's an idea that I could impart to you, that you are the one responsible. If it does not exist around you, then start it. If you have a group of Christians, a church that you're a part of, that is very focused on statism and things that are not in line with biblical principles, 
then you should be saying something about that. Now, don't be annoying about it and don't overdo it and don't overwhelm people. Be aware that these things are totally outside of the box of most people's reality and they do not know it. They don't understand it at first. And so keep that in mind. But you as a Christian are supposed to be speaking truth. You are to be speaking truth, not only to the world writ large, but especially to the church. The church is the place where you are actually to judge other people according to biblical principles. So do not say anything that you cannot directly back up by scripture and by biblical principle. You must be able to do so if you are a Christian, and you can do so. You can back up the idea of agorism biblically. Not only that, you can definitely back up not being involved with the state biblically. So from a Christian perspective, that is something you should be doing if you are a Christian, you are a part of a church, and that church is not living according to biblical principles. But on the other side, on the secular side, if you are an agorist, if you believe in agorism, if you are maybe a libertarian or an ANCAP or an ANCOM or whatever you are, if you believe in voluntarism, if you're a voluntarist, then you should be part of the agora. You should be part of an agorist community because that's what's in line with your own beliefs. And so you should do it. If you believe something to be right, but you are not pursuing it, not living according to it, then you are not in the right by your own definition. So if you are not involved in a local community of agorists, then you need to get involved. You need to look around. You need to find people that are like-minded. And if something like that does not exist, I guarantee you, that there are others in your surrounding communities that are either already on board with these ideas or are very open to them. And it would be very easy to get them on board with these ideas. And that is up to you. Your job is to live according to the principles and morality that you believe is right. And I would even go beyond that from a Christian perspective and say, your job is to live according to the ideals and principles that God has laid down. God has created this world and everything in it, all of reality, all people, all things, according to a certain structure, a certain order, a certain morality. And our role, part of our meaning, is to be a part of that, to keep that within its proper order, to keep things in a way that they retain their proper meaning. And that is our role as human beings. So again, you can't go quite as deep as that when you just talk about agorism, but you can say that there is this principle of voluntarism, a voluntary transaction of free will. And if you take that to its full extent or anywhere near its full extent, that means that you need to be doing this. That means that you need to be a part of this. And that is your responsibility. You need to be doing this on an individual level. You need to be living out your principles, but you also need to be doing this on a communal level. You need to be a part of a community. And hopefully, my hope would be that Christian agorism would be the main thing. That would be the main group and organization, and that would be the ideology that spreads. But Having just the kingdom of God spreading and having just agorism spreading are both good things. And bringing the kingdom of God more in line with this strategy of agorism and bringing agorism more in line with the principles of Christianity are both good things. Bringing those more together will add depth to both of them. So I guess that should probably wrap up the episode. I've covered everything I wanted to cover, and I will save anything else for a future episode. Now, I'm not quite sure what I have planned for next week's episode. Again, I am not in town, at least not at my own house, and I don't have all of my stuff together, and I have no clue what I'll be doing after this. But there will be an episode next week. It will be something related to the subjects according to Season 3, and if you are enjoying Season 3, you should enjoy next week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. 
I would definitely appreciate it if anybody would leave a rating and ideally a review as well. That is very helpful. I know I ask that every single time, but that's because it is important and it is very helpful. So it is worth asking every single time. I also do say thank you every single time, every single episode. And I truly mean that. That is why I say it every single episode. Usually when things are repeated, that means they're more important. And those things are very important. So thank you very much for all of your support. Please do support in whichever ways are in line with how you would like to support the show. And with that, I'm out. Peace. This has been our Foundations Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye-bye.